We go to the third pre-Babylonian prophet. Habakkuk ministered between 610 and 597. And he is a unique prophet among most of these prophets because he actually, he didn't minister to the people of Judah, but his book particularly is not a message to the people of Judah. His book is mostly a prayer that he cries out to God. And it's basically Habakkuk asks two questions of God and God gives him answers to both of those questions. And then Habakkuk responds to that. He is actually, this particular book is not interested in a message to the people. So it's kind of a, if you're tired of the repetition of judgment, it's kind of like, okay, this is, although that will still be there, but it will be coming from a different perspective, a different angle. He's basically going to ask God questions and God is going to respond. And that's what makes him unique. The purpose of the book of Habakkuk was to pronounce the judgment on Israel and Babylon but also promise a future exodus of all of the nations. Zephaniah and Nahum begin to introduce the Babylonians are coming, but they have not been specifically named yet. And Babylon, people know about Babylon's existence, and they know that they're an empire, but they don't see them as becoming this great empire like the Assyrians are. That has not happened yet. So it's Habakkuk, who's pretty much going to introduce this idea of Babylon for the first time, as in by name. So Habakkuk can be divided into two sections. The first section is an interchange between Habakkuk and Yahweh. This is chapters 1, 1 through 2, 20. And then the second section is chapter 3, and this is Habakkuk's hymn of praise and response to his dialogue interchanged with Yahweh. Chapter 1, verse 1. The following is a message which God revealed to Habakkuk, the prophet. So Habakkuk then cries out to God and says, How long, Yahweh, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. I call out to you, violence, but you do not intervene. Why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present, and one, and one must endure strife. For this reason, the law lacks power, and justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. So Habakkuk's first cry to God is violence, violence, violence. Everywhere I look in Judah, there is violence. And wicked people constantly get away with everything that they do. And nobody punishes them, and there's never consequences. I feel like... There's nothing good in Judah anymore. And why aren't you dealing with this? You righteous, just God. Now, we've already talked about this in the book of Psalms. But when it comes to laments, it's a very common theme. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything about it? I've got a complaint with you, God, so to speak. And so remember, the problem is not that you have doubts with God. That is not a sin. That's not something to feel guilty or shamed about. The problem is not even that you're angry at God or that you're doubting his ability or something at different times. There's nothing wrong with that. We have emotions. Emotions are not easily controlled. And we are very ignorant of a lot of things in this world. And there's so many unknowns. God does not have a problem with your doubts, your angry your frustration, your depression, your where are you, God, and what are you doing? 
as long as you're going to him. Now, you may not be totally confident in his sovereignty at that moment. You may not be totally confident in his love at that moment, but you're going to him because he's proven over time that he has been with you. He's taken care of you. And even though you don't feel it now, you go to him with your complaints and your emotions because you know he's there. And when you come with that attitude, rather than just abandoning him and shaking your fist and walking away and then trashing him and gossiping and complaining to everybody else about God not being there, that's not good. Once again, even with friends, there's times I've gone to friends, I'm like, I've got this against you and I don't really feel like you're really... But I'm going to them and I'm going to them in love with a desire for reconciliation, for restoration, or for them to do things better. But I'm not like saying, forget you, I'm done with you as a friend, I'm walking away, I'm just going to trash talk you to everybody all the time. That's what God is saying. So this is Habakkuk. Habakkuk's going to God. And he allows God to defend himself. He allows God to respond. And this is what makes Habakkuk righteous, even though his emotions and what he's saying may not be totally accurate. And that's what we dealt with the book of Job as well. Job, even though he's really angry at God and accused him of a lot of things, he did call God out. He went to God and he wanted to deal with it. So he says, and this is what we can relate to. We can relate to this complaint. So in verse 5, God gives his answer. At the nations, and pay attention. You will be shocked and amazed. For I will do something in your lifetime that you not, will not believe, even though you are forewarned. Look, I am about to empower the Babylonians. It's the first time they're mentioned by name. And remember, too, even though Zephaniah has talked about an empire that will come and destroy Judah, Habakkuk sounds like he doesn't even know that an empire is going to come and destroy Judah, let alone the empire's name. And that's very possible because Habakkuk and Zephaniah were contemporaries of each other. And so are Nahum. And so it could be that even though Habakkuk is ministering at the same time as Zephaniah and Nahum, he could be asking this question before they have prophesied the coming of a nation to destroy. So he is living at a time period where he's like, I don't see you doing anything, God. I don't even know that an empire is coming to destroy Assyria and Judah one day. So now God comes back and says, not only am I bringing a nation, but that nation is Babylon. And this is the first time that Babylon is mentioned by name. That ruthless and greedy nation. They sweep across the surface of the earth, seizing dwelling places that do not belong to them. They are frightening and terrifying. They decide for themselves what is right. Their horses are faster than leopards and are more alert than wolves in the desert. Their horses gallop. Their horses come at a great distance. Like a vulture, they swoop down and quickly to devour their prey. All of them intend to do violence. Every face is determined. They take prisoners as easily as one scoops up sand. They mock kings and laugh at rulers. They laugh at every fortified city. They built siege ramps and capture them. And they sweep up by like the wind and pass on. But the one who considers himself a god will be held guilty. So God says, look, I'm going to do something that you've never seen ever before. Judah, with the temple and the priests, is going to be ruined by the Babylonians. And you're going to see an empire that you've never seen before. Now, Syria 
We talked about this. This is the first greatest empire that the world has ever seen. The first massive, sprawling empire. But it took Assyria a long time to build itself. And a long time to roll over everybody and establish itself. The Babylonians moved swift. They're one of the fastest building empires ever. And they didn't just like slowly roll over people like tanks. They swooped in like a flood and wiped people out. And they were devastating. Now, there were going to be empires that moved much faster than the Babylonians after them later, specifically Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. But up to this point, no one had seen anybody conquer that many nations as quickly as the Babylonians did. That's why Babylon in the book of Daniel is described as a winged lion because of how swift he was in his destruction. So God says, I'm bringing them. You thought Assyria was something new that you've never imagined. Babylon's going to be much swifter and much faster. They mock kings. They're unstoppable. And But he says, but everyone who considers himself a god will be brought down low. We already know the book of Daniel, but that's exactly what Daniel 1 through 5 is about. It's about, well, 1 through 4 is about. It's about Nebuchadnezzar proclaiming himself a god and God bringing him down. Big time. And he does that with the other kings after him as well. So that's what God ends with. That's his answer. You and I, we've been around for a long time, hearing the prophets for a long time, and we know, oh yeah, okay, that's what God does. We've heard this a lot, da 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 That doesn't seem surprising and unique to us. But for Habakkuk, that's like, what? Now remember, Habakkuk has already seen the Assyrians destroy Israel. But Israel deserved it. Because Israel was so evil and wicked that there was no one righteous left in Israel. Israel, even though Habakkuk is a prophet and he knows that God will not tolerate evil, and even though he's a prophet that looks at all the evil in Judah and says, violence, violence, why aren't you doing anything about it? Habakkuk has still fallen into the theology that God dwells in Judah and the priesthood is in Judah. And practically speaking, there are still righteous people who are in Judah. See, Israel really had nobody righteous left. And so it made sense. But Abraham showed that even if there's just a few righteous people left in the city, won't you spare it? And God said, yes. And not only does Judah have that, but they had the temple and the, the presence of God. So Habakkuk can't imagine ever that God would use an evil empire to punish his people. I can understand Assyria punishing Israel because no one is righteous. So Habakkuk comes in and says this, Yahweh, verse 12, you have been active from ancient times. My sovereign God, you are immortal. Yahweh, you have made them your instrument of judgment, protector. You've appointed them as your instrument of punishment, talking about the Babylonians. You are too just to tolerate evil. You are unable to condone wrongdoing. So why do you put up with such treacherous people? Why do you say nothing when the wicked devour those who are more righteous than they are? You made people like fish in the sea, like animals in the sea that have no ruler. The Babylonian tyrant pulls them all in with fish hooks. He hauls them in with his throw net or dragnet. When he catches them in his dragnet, he is very happy. Because of his success, he offers sacrifice to his throw net and burns incense to his dragnet. For because of them, he has plenty of food and more than enough to eat. Habakkuk is not saying, 
that Babylon is this giant fisher out there, fisherman, and he pulls in all his fish and then like worships his net. It's a metaphor. The idea is that Babylon is an empire that has all these weapons and chariots and tools and devices and money and armies that is able to sweep over the nations and no one escapes the the onslaught of the Babylonians like no fish escapes a dragnet when it goes to the water. And as a result of his great accomplishments and that everything Babylon does, he succeeds at it, he worships his nets. Now, what it's a metaphor is he worships his army, his power, his success, his money, his towers, his palaces. So basically that's what Nebuchadnezzar, or so that's what Habakkuk is saying is that Babylon worships itself and its success and power and strength because itself has been able to do anything and never fail at it and no one has been able to stop it so god says but you don't tolerate evil and wicked so verse 16 because of his success he offers sacrifices throw net and burns incense to his dragnet for because of them he has plenty of food and more than enough to eat will he then continue to fill his empty and empty his throw net will he always destroy the nations and spare none I will stand at my watch post. I will remain stationed on the city wall. I will keep watching so I can see what he says to me and can know how I should answer when he encounters, when he counters my argument. What you basically say is you have Habakkuk saying, you do not tolerate evil, God. And then he says, and Babylon is incredibly evil. And then after that, he says, Will you keep allowing Babylon to move that no nation escapes? And basically Habakkuk's complaint, his second complaint is, how can you use an unrighteous nation to punish a little bit of a righteous, but mostly unrighteous nation? (laughs) Yes, I saw it with the Assyrians, but that even left me uncomfortable. You can't use evil to punish evil. But now that you're going to use evil to punish the evil of Judah, but Judah is not completely evil, that seems totally not right. That seems totally not right. How can you use evil to punish evil, God? When I complain that there was unrighteousness in our nation and I wanted you to punish it, I kind of meant I wanted you, God, to come in and do it. Like, I expected you. That's like, that's like your kids being really evil and bad. And one of your kids says, my brothers and sisters are horrible and evil and bad and they're constantly being on me all the time. Do something about it, mom and dad. And you're like, okay, I'll go get a serial killer down the road and they'll come in and punish you. You're like, what? That is so messed up. And we would say, yes, it is. But that's what Habakkuk feels right now. He went to his righteous father in heaven and said, punish my brothers and sisters who are evil, you righteous dad. And dad comes in and says, I'm bringing these murderous, idolatrous, dragnet, bloodthirsty empire to come in and devastate Judah. And Habakkuk's, what? This doesn't make sense. When you punish Egypt, you punish them with your plagues. When you punish the Canaanites, you punished it with us, your chosen people. 
And now you're going to use the Babylonians to punish your righteous people. No, they're not completely. Maybe in there they're in the 5% righteous. But still, when you punish Sodom and Gomorrah, you send, it was you. And that's what Habakkuk is struggling with. And rightfully so. I mean, we should struggle with this. Like, how can you use an unjust, violent, unrighteous, evil tool to punish your people? But notice how he ends this. It, this does not feel like a righteous God to him. This does not make logical or spiritual or emotional sense to him. But he says, but I will stand on the watchtower and I will wait God's answer. He does not say, therefore, I'm going to Buddhism for my hope. I'm going to Hinduism. I'm going to go to my Democratic or Republican Party. He says, but I will wait on God. This doesn't make sense. Right now, you feel like a really unjust, unrighteous God right now. Theologically, you don't feel right. Emotionally, you don't feel right. But I know too much about you, God, to just walk out because of one little thing. Though big right now is little in the grand scheme of things. I'm not, I can't walk out just because I'm happy. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of us do. I, almost every testimony of Christians who walk away from God and pursue a life of pregnancy has more to do with they just were tired of not being able to do whatever they want all the time. And they find some petty little thing as the reason for why they're going to walk away. And they don't wait on God for an answer. They just want an excuse to walk away. And that's the difference between Habakkuk and them. Habakkuk is not saying, I want to follow my heart and do whatever I want. I'm just tired of being in a relationship with you, and I'm going to find some petty, stupid little thing to walk away on as my excuse, because I'm unwilling to admit what is really the real reason. Habakkuk is saying, this is a big issue that I don't understand. But who you are in your character is way bigger than even that. And in the end, I want an answer. I don't want an excuse to walk away from you. Because in the end, I want to be in a relationship with you because you're a good God. So I'm willing to wait and hear your response. And that's the difference between people who just follow God in an intellectual, lifestyle kind of a way and those who follow God in a relational way. God never ever said it was going to be easy. He never said that it was going to be without struggles. And he never said that you had to be emotionally, intellectually okay with everything he did all the time or understand it. What he did say is, do you want to know me and be in a relationship with me? And eventually, over time, I will reveal myself to you. If you're in it for the relationship, not in it for the facts. And it's the same thing with us. Nobody in this room or anyone out there wants somebody who calls you a friend because they've read your biography. And they're like, oh yeah, we're friends because I know all these things about you and I can rattle off all these statistics. That's one of the things that bothers me about people when they meet celebrities. No offense that this is you, but um, when they meet like these people like Bill Murray or a basketball player or a president, they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You don't know them. You just know a bunch of facts from Wikipedia or biography and you've seen them on television a lot. But how can you be so excited to see basically a stranger? 
I mean, in some sense, it would be cool just in, in the sense that you admire their talent. For me, it would be more exciting to see them perform. Like, if they're an incredible athlete, I would love to see them perform. If they're an actor, it's more incredible to see them perform. But it's, if I just see them standing in the street, I don't think I'd be like, ah, because I don't know them. I know them for their skill. That's what I enjoy watching. I don't know them for who they are. We don't want friends like that. And those celebrities don't like people like that either. There are many times that they've said in interviews, I don't know who's my friend anymore or not, because everybody thinks that they know me, and everybody's excited to see me, and everybody wants to be close to me. But I don't know them, and they don't know me. And it feels so empty. And that's what God is saying. Friendships are not you just rattling off statistics about somebody. And then when it just says, wait a minute, I don't accept that fact, you walk away. Friendships are about knowing people, being with them, in the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what God is saying. And that's what Habakkuk is saying. I get that. And that's why I will stand on my watchtower and I will wait your answer because God, you are my friend. You are my friend. And I mean that in a lack of a better word. <laughs>